Well, we are continuing on in the study or the book of Esther, right? We've uh, been working through that series, and we're actually coming up on chapter 4, chapter 4 in Esther. So if you're visiting today, that's where we're at, and we'll try to help you stay on board and keep up uh, as we uh, continue on. We've kind of set the stage now. We've kind of gotten all the players in place, and and now we're getting to the climax of the the story. And again, it's a, a great story, and I think I mentioned this early on that Esther was one of those controversial books. Uh, Esther was really weighed heavily and considered whether they were going to have it in the Bible or not. Our church fathers wrestled with that. Even Martin Luther struggled with that fact that, to, to put it in because it doesn't mention God by name. It's not overly spiritualized at that point. But if you think about it, um, considering where they were in time and history, you can almost understand that. Uh, for the Jews, it was a very dark time, right? They're in captivity. They've been there for a long time, um, and a few of them have left and started back at Jerusalem, but they're in that in-between time. And again, they're being disciplined by God because they were away from God. And again, spiritually, they're at probably one of their lower points, and they've been kept, held captive. Uh, it's gone from the Babylonians to now the, Mer- the Persian and the Medes, uh, that's uh, the group that's watching over them now. And again, they've conquered their land, and so they're captive. Uh, there's no temple. There's no place to work. And so it's a tough time for them as a nation. And they're scattered about. And that's kind of the place where Esther is. Again, if you've been with us, chapter 1, we learned about King Xerxes, right? And the, the king had a, a queen, right? He didn't hold on to her very long, right? Vashti, we, we talked about that a little bit and how he ended up divorcing her and sending her out. And so he had no queen uh, for quite a period of time. We saw for over four years, he was without that. And in that time, he went and took on the Greeks and he lost. He lost fairly handily. He came back to his throne um, kind of dejected and he was actually missing having that other person in his life, that queen. And so... He did what the Persians do, is he had a beauty pageant, right? He sent out for all the women to come and to be purified and to to take 12 months of beauty treatments. Again, I've walked through that landmine with many of you. I was reminded this week, though, you guys, you notice I haven't said anything about how good-looking you are, and some of you, it would take a lot longer than 12 months to get to anywhere that spot. So there we go, ladies, that one was for you, all right? So... But they had this beauty contest, and who wins but Esther, right? Esther is the one who rises to the top. King Caesar picks her to be the queen. We have Esther that comes great responsibility, comes great position, and we have Esther. And we have Esther is an unlikely candidate in many circumstances. One, she's a Jew, but also she's adopted, right? Mordecai is not her father, her natural-born father. She's been adopted. She's been taken in. And Mordecai becomes this spiritual influence on her, yet he gives her up to the Persian king, to a tough life, into a tough spot. In fact, he tells her, hey, don't mention the fact that you're a Jew. Keep it hidden. That's going to come into play here really quick. Last week, if you were with us, chapter 3, we got introduced to the villain. You know, we, we sometimes think King Xerxes, and again, he's not, not the, the, the best person in this story, but the real villain is Haman, right? 
Haman comes onto the scene. He's been elevated. He's an Agite. And the Jews and the Agites hated each other. We talked about hate earlier. Joe, you set me up really good. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, in, in light of 9-11 and all that's going on, again, it's easy for us to hate. Right? And there's hatred between these two groups, these two races. And Agite, um, the Agite, Haman, wants to be recognized. And Mordecai won't do it. He won't bow before him. He won't kneel. He won't pay him his respect. And this causes conflict. And so, in fact, Haman becomes so enraged, he not only wants to kill Mordecai, but he wants to kill all the Jews. And so he devises this plan, and he goes to the king, and he gets the king to sign off on it, to have all the Jews killed. We talked about casting lots, right, last week, uh, the Purim, which the Jews celebrate now as Purim, because the lot fell on the 12th month, right, instead of the first month. That was very key, because that gave them time. Sometimes when you, you have time in preparation, that's important, and certainly that happened here. <clears throat> some authors or some commentators have said that time was used a little bit too for some of the Jews to head back to Jerusalem. There was another group that was as well around that time. Timing-wise, we're not exactly sure, but that may have taken place as well. But in any event, there was some time before this event was going to happen, so they knew persecution was coming. They knew the threat. And that kind of led us right up to this point where we are this morning. And I've titled today's message, um, The Problem and the Response. Right? We are always continually going to have problems in our lives. Things are going to come up against us. Right? Things that are out of our control. Right? You know, 9-11, that was out of our control. We, none of us knew or expected that morning that things were going to go the way they did. But our part in it is our response, right? That's the one thing we can control, how we respond to situations. And that response is going to be different for each of us. The response is going to be different as a nation, as an individual, and how we respond is vitally important. And so we're going to look at that this morning in light of chapter 4 is how are we going to respond and how are the responses here and what can we learn from them? So... Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every providence to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So again, Jewish custom, it was their response when there was a death or a crisis was coming, was to put on the, the sackcloth and the ashes. Again, they were visibly, they would let everybody know, we're in mourning here, we're in great distress. Right? And so Mordecai responds this way. Again, tearing his clothes, ripping it apart, and and really just a mess, disheveled mess, right? There's impending death coming. It's an outpouring of the heart. Now, the nice thing is it's very visible. You can see it. Interestingly here, the, the king wouldn't allow it only as close as the gate, right? You know, I think I've mentioned this, and 
I know some of you know hospice, and I spent some time as a hospice chaplain, and watching people go through the process and watching people's responses, it's different, right? It's different for everyone. Everyone responds differently. Some people, it's very visible. Others kind of bear up, or some will wait to another time. But there's a response. And so Mordecai's is immediate, right? He immediately sees what's coming, and he puts all this on. But the king doesn't want that anywhere near him, right? He kind of doesn't, you know, hey, keep that from me. Keep the king happy. So Mordecai, out of respect, and, and that does not go that far, right? But everyone around him knows. And the Jews who got the message, again, the king sent that message out to everyone that, you know, in the 13th month, this is going to happen. And so they knew that it was, was yet to come. And so they have this fasting and weeping and wailing. Again, crying out to God. I mean, that's really what you're, you're bearing yourself down to your bare minimum saying, God, only you can help us. Again, that's the response that they have. Verse 4, we'll look at Esther's response here. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hedak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to a tender, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Esther's uh, response here is kind of interesting. He needs, right? She finds out, and so that her immediate thought is, oh, wow, he, all right, he's tore his clothes. He needs some new clothes. Right? She had it within her power. She had it within her means to provide. She cares about Mordecai, right? This is her father figure. This is someone she loves and cares about. And so she wants to immediately go and send him some clothes. Again, it's a response, right? Some of you respond that way, right? Your, your first thought is your, your physical need. Well, how can I help you? Remember, you know, when someone would pass, a lot of times the response is someone to start cooking, Right? Send over a meal, send some food, right? Or, hey, is there anything you need? How can I help you? Right? Meet some of those immediate physical needs. I think here in this situation, though, it's not a, a physical need as much as it is a, obviously a spiritual need. We know that there's that lacking in the land, right? But she cares about Mordecai, and so she's upset, and so she wants to find out exactly what's going on. Again, she doesn't have all the information yet. Interesting, though, she's a, the queen. She's right next to where things have been happening, but she doesn't know exactly. Again, this may have to do some with her denying her being a Jew, and so it's not affecting her, at least at this point, or at least she's not thinking that it is. We'll see a little bit more as the story unfolds. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. It's hard sometimes for me to hold back a little bit. But verse 6. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money. Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for the annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain to her, and he told him to instruct her, to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. The, 
right? So now we have this interchange. We have this conversation that's going on between the eunuch and Mordecai and, again, giving that information to pass on. Notice Mordecai also gives very much the details, right? It goes right down through, not only, or even down to the amount of money, those 10,000 pieces, right? Again, that's a great amount of wealth. Right? Haman hated so much that he was willing to really basically give up all of his finances and all the plunder. He, that wasn't what his motivation, right? Haman's motivation was hatred. And not just for Mordecai, but for all the Jews. And so, again, that's where he's taken out that, that frustration. Those years of hatred are, are coming out, and he sees a way out. It, Haman does. And so Mordecai's telling, hey, Esther, in your position... Help us out, right? Calling in a favor, maybe, we'd say today, right? Plead for your people, not only just for yourself, but for your people, right? Mordecai, at least here in word, and, and we have, is, has concern for more than just himself, but for the whole nation. And so he sees us as an opportunity to hopefully spare his people, because otherwise, there's no hope. Right? It's been set. The king's rule is done. It's, it, everything's in motion. It's yet, yet to come, but it's, it's on its way. Verse 9. Hattat went back and reported to Esther that what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, and that is that they would be put to death unless the king extends his gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So we, we see here that the, the king keeps himself separated, right? There's a system within the royal palace, right? Not just anyone can go and see him, right? You can't just walk up and say, hey, king, I, I want to I want a word with you, right? In fact, it's said that the, the kings of that time would have men standing with either a sword or an axe, and they would just be waiting for anyone to even get remotely close, and they would act swiftly. They didn't ask questions. They were just told to kill immediately, again, if there was any threat. Again, that's the insecurity quite often of these kings. Ironically enough, he does get assassinated, the king Xerxes, later on. That's later on in history. But right now, he's under that fear, his fear of his own life. And so they have this rule in place, and they, the king keeps himself separated. Um, even the queen, she doesn't have freedom just to, to walk in and go talk to her husband, the king. In fact, she even mentions here, it's been 30 days, right? Long period of time. Again, as a, a woman in that position, think of the insecurity and what must be going through her mind. Oh, it's been a long time since the king's called upon me. Things are probably not good. And maybe I've fallen out of favor. Maybe I don't look as good as I did when I first came into this position. It's interesting how the, the little things could be playing on her mind as well. Yet there's something important that I need to go talk to him about. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. 
Do not think that because you are the king's or in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Famous words, right? Those last words, right? For such a time as this. In fact, when I meet people and I tell them I'm going through Esther, that's it's almost immediately out of their mouths, right? That's, that kind of goes synonymous. Oh, Esther, oh yeah, for such a time as this. Again, I think sometimes we throw that out there. A lot of times we dole it out like we do so many times with scriptures and don't know the meaning behind this. But back to the story here a little bit, right? There's this conversation that's going on between Esther and Mordecai. There's a little bit of a, a wrestling here, right? Esther's not jumping at the chance to go talk to the king. In fact, I think this is a little reminder. Mordecai saying, hey, just because you're the queen, don't eat it. That's, you know, that it's not going to get out that you are a Jew and that you still fall under this, this edict that's been put out, right? It's an interesting play, too, as we've been studying this, right? Mordecai at first says, Esther, don't, don't say anything about you being a Jew. Kind of hide it a little bit. But now when it becomes an advantage or becomes an opportunity, hey, don't forget you are a Jew, right? You have a chance to save your people. Also interesting in this paragraph here is the fact that Mordecai realizes that even if Esther doesn't do this, the Jews are still going to be saved. Did you pick that up in that? Right? There may be someone else that may take that place. Brings up an interesting thought and a thing that I've watched as, as God, as you read through the Bible and God continually does that, he uses people that want to be used. But if you don't, right? Anyone here ever miss an opportunity? right? We do. We miss a lot of opportunities, right? Is God dependent upon us to do that for his will? No. I always say God doesn't need us, but yet he chooses to use us, right? God doesn't need us, but yet he chooses to use us. And this passage kind of lends itself to that, right? Mordecai is saying, Esther, if you don't step up and don't allow God to use you, someone else will. Because God's, Mordecai at least knows that foundation that the Jews are God's chosen people and he will always leave a remnant. He will protect them. And so we see that in this passage. Mordecai also recognizes the fact that Esther's not there by chance. Right? It just didn't happen that Esther fell into this position. Right? Yes, he could say, I, maybe I had a part in it. I, I put her forward. I allowed her to go. But really... You were put there for just a time as this, right? God has that same placement on each of us, right? We are here this morning at this time. God knew we each have a purpose you know, in that, right? We're not here by accident. You know, I, I joke often, right? I'm from the East Coast. I'm not here by accident. I'm not here just by chance. I have no animosity between the Packers or, or the Vikings for that matter, right? You didn't think I was going to let this morning this go without at least one football reference. Come on now. Joe beat me to it, but although I did not pull out my jersey this morning, so I've done a little bit better. But you have. 
God's placed you here. You're here today. You're in this building even today for such a time as this. You have purpose. You have meaning. You have a response, right? And you've responded by being here. Some may have responded by not being here this morning. Again, we have choices to make, right? But relying on God to help us with those responses is going to be key. All right, a little bit more here as we wrap up this chapter. Again, I'm going to leave you on another cliffhanger. Sorry, I'm just forewarning you right now. But verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will, go into, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. That ends the, the chapter here, right? So obviously, Mordecai's last response has prompted something in Esther to say, all right, I've got to do something here. I can't just stick to my guns. I can't just say nothing but I need help, right? She needs guidance, right? This was quite often the way the, the Jews would do this. They would take some time, and they would dedicate time for fasting with the intent of not only fasting and skipping a meal, but to pray, take the extra time. Even today as Christians, sometimes we, we'll do that same thing, right? If we have a big decision, we'll take some time, or we'll ask some other people to join us here. And that's what Esther doing. She said, hey, join with me. I need prayer. This is a big decision. I'm going to need something beyond me. I need help. I need confirmation. I need to know, know what to say. Esther also understands the risk, right? She says it there. She says, even though it goes against the law, and if I perish, I perish. PJ even mentioned that about being baptized in some of these countries, right? It's the same way. They're, they're saying, hey, I, I need to be obedient to what God's called me, and I want to proclaim Christ, but it may mean that I perish. I may not be allowed to do that in my country. And Esther's in that same spot, and so she's really is a cry for help, right? She's going to need some extra help with this. Again, we know, because we know the story, we know that God is helping her throughout this. God's the one that's placed her there. God's the one that's allowed this situation. He already knows the response, and he knows how he's going to work through this. You can know that, too, if you read on ahead, and you're welcome to do that. But that's where Esther's at this point. And so Mordecai, being that good friend and father figure in her life, he goes away and he carries it out, right? And so for three days, they go and they fast. And I believe many of them would have prayed as well. We don't know that. It doesn't say that in Scripture. But again, that's the, the normal progression. And certainly some of these Jews were believers in God. And so they would have done that and spent that time in prayer, fasting for her to make the right decision. Like I said, I'm going to leave you hanging because that's where this ends now. But there's some takeaways for us, right? And started off with this message, we're going to come up against some of those situations, some of those problems in life, 
and we're going to have a choice. We're going to have a choice. How do we respond? What is the next step, right? And as much as we would all love to say, well, I'm, I'm always going to respond in the right way, and I'm going to do the right thing. Sounds good, but in practice, it doesn't always work out. I appreciate Joe's confession this morning. Again, I'm sure we all probably have had those thoughts and those confessions from time to time. That's the right step. That's the right response. Lord, forgive me. Those times that I've responded incorrectly. I've hated someone, right? We see that actually the, the problem that's come up here is because of hatred, right? Two nations that hate each other. And it's brought about this problem, but how to respond next to it? And so that's for us, right? As we come up against things, what's our next step going to be? Are we going to ask people to pray for us? Hey, I got a big decision coming up, something I don't know how to handle. I've got to meet with somebody, and it's probably not going to be a good conversation. Could you pray with me for that, right? It's not a bad response. That's a good response. I also know that taking time to respond sometimes can help. Right? Because my first response is usually not always my best response. Am I the only one? No. Right. Right. My first response, especially if it's out of anger or pressed, pressed for time. Right? We get squeezed sometime. Sometimes we need to slow the process down, take a little more time, think about it. The other thing that we can get out of this as well is, again, God's placed you here for a reason. You're a believer at this time, this place, this time in history. You're here this morning for a time such as this. And I would love to be able to tell you all exactly what that purpose is and what that next step is for you. But guess what? God doesn't give that to me. God doesn't tell me what's for you. I'm working on just enough of my communication with God just to figure out what my next step is. What's next? Right? God's got something for me to do, but what is it? Again, we have to ask daily, sometimes moment by moment. So are you doing that? Are you relying upon God for each step that you're in? And then lastly here, I I stole this from the Alliance. I I think it's all right, but are you willing to take faith-filled risk? It's one of the core values of the Alliance, and I love that, but are you willing to take faith-filled risk? Right? even though it may, may and cost you, even up into your life. Are you willing to take those risks? Right? Esther's at that point. She's at that crossroad. The man that was getting baptized in the missions was, taking that, was willing to take that risk. But are you willing to take that same risk, that faith-filled risk? Something to think about. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we stand here this morning, Lord, and we're in worship of you, Lord, we are just so thankful for your faithfulness. Thankful that you don't leave us alone. That you are with us every step of the way. And that you are in control. Oh Lord, help us to respond correctly when we come up against those things in life, Lord, that We don't know what the next step should be. Help us to respond correctly. 
Lord, also help us to take the step once we know that our faith in you will be greater than our fear. Lord, help us with that. Help us to continue as we grow in our faith with you, Lord, in that relationship. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a quick announcement. Next week, we will not be in the book of Esther. Uh, my son Jared's going to be here visiting, and so he's going to preach. Going to give him an opportunity. He's not preaching on Esther. He told me that already. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that because he said, I probably would mess up, Dad, and mess up what you're doing now. He, he probably would do fine. So we're going to take a break from it, but we will continue on in chapter 5 in a couple of weeks. But it's exciting to have the younger generation here, and so we're going to give Jared an opportunity uh, to see what's going to happen uh, in his life, and so he'll be sharing next week with us. So thank you. <laughs>